Hello everybody and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, it's a follow-up episode. You may remember a couple of months ago, we watched Mary Poppins and talked a lot in that film about the life of P.L. Travers and Walt Disney and went, oh, golly gosh, if only there was a film that looked at that. Well, there is. So we're watching it. (laughs) Yes. Uh, We are watching Saving Mr. Banks from 2013. And joining me as always, we have someone who has seen the film before and someone who has not. It is our guests from the Mary Poppins episode, Dr. Carmen Dolly. Hi, Stephen. And Dean Lovett. Thank you, Dr. Stephen Platt. Thank you. Uh, Dean, welcome back to the program. How have you been? I'm good, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. Now, so you've also not seen Saving Mr. Banks. No, and I very deliberately, uh, since we kind of decided to do this down the line, I very deliberately tried to avoid looking up anything, researching anything, in spite of the fact that uh, I've been uh, quite inspired to learn more about the story of uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, behind Mary Poppins, but I've stopped myself, so mm-hmm. I am ravenous for Tom Hanks. Excellent. As I, am, I believe most people are. Yeah, indeed they are. And I am curious, because uh, it's been about two months since we watched Mary Poppins. Um, sort of now you've had a bit longer to ruminate on it. What, what are your thoughts on that? I'd say probably about the same, I think. Mm. Um, I don't know if I'd call myself a Mary Poppins fan uh, of the movie necessarily. Like, I don't know if I'll go back to it, but from so many aspects, I can just appreciate why it is the phenomenon that it is. It's very skillfully made skillfully performed like just you like you get it you know when you, when you watch something that's got so much behind it and you just go oh i understand this like i get why this is the is up on the pedestal mm. that it deserves indeed yeah. well like like me with hamilton i feel like mm, mm. um yeah it's like you're, you're watching it going it, it, you know it's not something that i might necessarily watch myself but i see why people like it mm, yeah mm. and dr carmen welcome yes. back Thank you. Uh, Saving Mr. Banks. Yes. Uh, Dean hasn't seen it. I haven't seen it. So yes. for people like us who have not seen this film, what can we expect? Um, just Tom Hanks and um, uh, Emma Thompson being great, as always. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, this this is kind of two movies rolled into one. So I'll be interested to see what you guys think of it from that point of view. A um, lot of little Disney bits and pieces that are quite interesting and um yeah a a a story which uh somewhat encapsulates the the pl travels Walt disney rivalry but is not necessarily an accurate retelling of that Mm. when did you last watch this film Mm, uh probably when it came out on disney plus probably when we first got disney plus i would say okay i don't think i've watched it since then it's um, it's a film where I, I don't really like sitting down and watching the whole thing. Um, I'm more just sort of um, like, oh, I want to watch that bit and I want to watch that bit and then I'm done. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of probably the last time I watched it in full. Okay. Well, with all that being said, shall we watch Saving Mr. Banks? No. Yes. I mean, yes. I'm sorry. sorry. You said two whole podcasts. I knew it was one of those two. <laughs> uh, okay, well, for those of you listening at home, pop on those DVDs, load up those streaming services, and prepare to go fly a kite again as we watch Saving Mr. Banks. Welcome back, everybody. We have just finished watching Saving Mr. Banks, and I'm joined once again by Dr. Carmen Dolly. Hello. And Dean Lovett. So, uh, Dean, that was your first time watching Saving Mr. Banks. What did you think? I liked it. It was good. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think oh, I definitely, at the end of the film, I was like, yeah, it was good. It's a good film. Uh, yeah. yeah. Good acting. Interesting story. Mm. Was, well put together. No strong feelings one way or another is the sort of vibe I'm getting. No, I would. I would definitely say I'm leaning more towards you know good. Yeah. I, I, I'm not. You know, it's not the greatest film I've ever seen. No, mm. but it was very well made film. I would say. Yeah, um, Carmen, how was it for you revisiting? Um, very sappy. Mm. Um, I mean, I like it, but even as a Disney fan, I find it very sappy and cloyingly sentimental. I guess in parts. Yeah, it's it's very strange because it's. Obviously, it's it's a Disney Studios production. Mm. Um, although the the history of the screenplay is kind of interesting, yeah. but but the fact is is that they've gone. Yeah, the, this is Disney talking about their founder, and they've mm. done everything possible, I think, to make him look good, despite the mm. fact that yeah. he is sort of the main obstacle for PL 
Trevor's getting what she wants. Yeah. And it almost feels as though we're, to an extent, following the villain in this film. Yeah, I, I think it would have been a um, much more... Um, a, a film that would hold up to multiple rewatches more if we had seen sort of a more of a complex depiction of Walt Disney. Yeah. Um, rather was, than... They, you could definitely tell that there was a gender behind yeah. particular depictions. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, yeah, the, the story um, is... And you're absolutely right, Carmen. It is two films in one. Uh, the story is uh, we are either in 1906 Australia or 1960s America, where um, P.L. Travers, or Pamela, as we learn that she's called, or uh, Ginty was her nickname. Ginty, or yep. Helen Goff as yep. a child. Yes. yes. Um, is this this young Australian girl slash embittered British woman uh, who um, uh, either in the old... Uh, 1906 times witnesses the slow decline and death of her father from alcoholism and in current times watches the slow uh, death of her own independent property uh, at the hands of uh, disneyism i suppose it's, it's it's the same film made twice in a way um dean how was it for you with with this concept of like jumping from pl travers as this middle-aged woman who um is considering this deal that feels very antithetical to everything that she is to have Mary Poppins turned into this Hollywood film and then jumping back to rural Australia and dealing with her life as a child. Good. Mm. I liked it. You liked it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, Carmen, specifically when you were in, you were like, it felt like two different movies. I thought it was a very good decision. Obviously it seems like they've taken Peel Travers and very much, uh, She's she's very heightened in her uh, obstinance mm. uh, and her difficultness. Uh, so I think it was a good decision. It took a while, maybe thirty minutes, forty minutes, before we get into it. But I was like, oh, I see what we're doing here. Mm. We're showing that her general standoffishness comes from you know childhood trauma, and you know um, once it started to reveal that and like peel back a few layers and have different referential stuff, and you're like, oh, that's where Mary Poppins came from, kind of mm. moment. Um, I liked it. I, th- I thought it was yeah. an interesting way to kind of develop and inform the character. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and I, I it, it, it's quite a hard film to talk about in that sense. <laughs> I almost feel like we need to focus on one and then the other. So let's... Should we should we start with the, the childhood stuff because of how much it influences what comes later? Mm. Um, sure. And I, I feel as Colin though... Colin Farrell, yes, go on. Let's talk about Colin Farrell, who mm. plays um, her dad, Travis Goff, um, mm. who is this guy that works in a bank somewhat similar to the character of mr banks oh my god i just re- no i know <laughs> uh and we see uh he and his uh his family his quite young family he's got um three young daughters uh, and his wife and uh, the little dog they all uh, move from quite an affluent area of i believe queensland queensland I yeah. Think. Yeah, yeah um to a more rural outpost because of his job at the bank mm. Um, but we also see pretty early on that this guy is um, troubled, v- troubled, but also like troubled in a way that children find appealing. Like he's a complete mm. dreamer mm. Um, and he seems to only truly be happy when he's playing with his daughters and not even his daughters, just one of his daughters. Um, <laughs> it very much. Yeah, we do not see much of this sibling. <laughs> yeah. She gets told, uh, shut your mouth by the real Mary Poppins at one point. That's mm. that's about her, her main <laughs> contribution to the film. Um, but. But yeah, he's he's this very very flawed um, figurehead in mm. in young P.L. Travers' life, um, and it it was all fairly predictable. Like you know, yeah. it, mm. it felt very safe, particularly you know mm. in that opening scene where it's like, "You'll never leave me, Daddy." No, I'll never leave you. And you're like, "Oh, oh boy, he how's go. he going to leave?" Yeah. Her? <laughs> um, but but as someone with with an interest both in Disney history and mm. also with the, the history of P.L. Travers. Uh, ha- Carmen, how did you feel that they dealt with this obviously very traumatic upbringing and this, this event that was massively influential on her life? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought they handled it fairly well. I mean, it, it must have been difficult for them because I don't think they had a lot necessarily to go on. I mean, mm. uh, P.L. Travers, she was always a really intensely private person, so we don't know a lot about her childhood but what we do know I think they encapsulated fairly well mm. um in that like she from one from one standpoint I think this movie would have been 
more significant emotionally had her father been portrayed as very strict and and, mm. and um, troubled in that sense. But certainly by the sounds of it, he was sort of a bit of a dreamer and a bit um, uh, conflicted with, you know, his, his creative personality and, and the, the straightforward job that he had. Mm. Um, I thought they did a good job of, of portraying that, but maybe... I mean, you can kind of see in, in the young Helen Goff like where the, the writing and the fantasy comes from. Mm. But it just seems um, maybe like it's it's a little bit too much of a stark contrast between her as a child with all her fantasies of being a chicken or, you know, mm. having a horse who's her uncle or something like that and then suddenly going into straight-laced P.L. Travers mm. in her 60s and you never really know why there has been too much of that transition, mm. if that makes sense. You can picture the journey, but then I think, like, especially at the end, mm. when it's been, feels like just a moment and, like, we go back to her and she's writing again, you yeah. know, and she's suddenly, like, super chill and relaxed and no longer uptight and, you know, wearing bright mm. colours yeah. and feet up on the table, and you know. back. Like, yeah. you just like, wait, what? Like, Where'd oh, that come from? Oh, okay, yeah. so that conversation she had with Walt Disney fixed her? Yeah, that, that song they played was just, that was the panacea she needed. Just... Yeah, and I think it is kind of interesting. I know on this show, and particularly when you're on the show, Dean, a lot, we do joke about characters being dark wizards in a sort of sure. D&D Cthulhu <laughs> sense. But the whole power of whimsy that, mm. that comes from everything that is done by Disney, I think this is a really interesting example of of how Walt Disney is portrayed, whilst being portrayed quite positively, mm. is being portrayed as this very powerful media titan. Yes. And I think it's it's, it's a very positive portrayal, mm. but I still th- I think the film doesn't get away from the fact, you know, he isn't good old Uncle Walt um, all the time, um, but but that he is this this mogul who is wanting to get his intellectual his hands on this intellectual property yeah, yeah. because he thinks he can make it work partly for, you know, he made this promise to his daughters, but mm. also partly because he is this, because he loves money. He's this tycoon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think it's interesting and predictable again, that the film doesn't make a moral judgment on that. Mm. Like at no mm. point. I, don't, I, I think it, look, when it comes to any depiction of Disney in mm. this film, I would largely ignore it. Mm. I just yeah. don't think there's anything here that's, even remotely toothy. I mean, the two, you know, the, the most potentially kind of um, complex line we get about him is where um, P.L. Travers says that he might have ADHD, basically. Yeah. Mm. It's flippant. She doesn't even say ADHD. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. see, and it's as she's yeah. going up. Like, I just, I think, I mean, especially hearing about how this is like the first time that Disney allowed someone to kind of portray Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that they chose Tom Hanks, who's, mm. let's yeah. face it, one of the most easy to like people you'll potentially ever see on or off the screen. You know, mm. there's a reason Tom Hanks is famous and so talented in what he does. Um, I just, I don't think there was anything there from watching it that I was like, oh, what an interesting carry start at Disney. Mm. I thought, no, this yeah. is what... It's Tom Hanks doing Disney cosplay. This is what... Yeah. 40 odd people from Disney approved one by one was the mm. okay way to depict mm. him. Um, I didn't, you know, dislike the character per se, but I, I guess I just thought from the get go it was just that it was a character. Yeah. It's, mm. it's a construct and you know, you're right. It's not the Disney who kept his employees working 80 hours a week to get mm. Disneyland built or to get some movie made or, mm. um, it's it's very much you know he's he's constructed as like almost like a loving mentor when that mm. really was not how he was with his employees. But yeah. like even I think, the I promised my kid. I'm like, did you? Yeah. Did, did you, you know? really? Or and is I, that you know? I think we get to this point where um, uh, how do I put it? Like you know we're talking about um, oh you know uh, Walt Disney talking about oh Mr. Banks you know he doesn't get redeemed in life but maybe he gets redeemed in the story and I'm like. Is that kind of a commentary on your portrayal of P.L. Travers in this? As in, like, maybe you guys didn't sort of respect her wishes enough in real life and then mm. you're making this story as, like, an apology for that or to compensate for that, you know? Possibly. But, uh, yeah. No. Yeah, no. no. I, reckon, okay. I mean, they also... But they like, I, I see where you're going, but then they the way they depicted her was just... No, but, like, the, the way they depict her is at the end she's satisfied and she's happy with this movie. And they were like, yeah. see, it was all for the best. You know, Disney was doing but, the right thing. And I, mean, I don't even know if that's true, though. I mean, 
she certainly, you know, had her moments, but she she definitely seemed like in that movie when she was yeah. watching the movie, mm. she certainly had her moments of catharsis when it came to her father and certain songs, but it still very much seemed like she. I don't know, mm. wasn't loving it? She was tolerating but No, she, she was sitting there and she was happy at the end and smiling mm. and, you know, Crying. happy tears. And then you don't see the fallout afterwards where she went to Walt Disney and was like, I want this bit cut and I want this bit cut and mm. I want you to change this. And yeah, you, you don't see that because that's too complex for Disney and that's mm. too... Yeah. That doesn't get in the way of their nice clean narrative of her finding her yeah, catharsis. Yeah. Mm. Put, a bu- put a bow on it. Mm. Yeah. Um, let's, let's talk about some acting because I do feel mm. one of this movie's strengths is in its leads... Um, Tom I Hanks. I don't care about the leads. You know who I want to talk uh, we'll, about. We'll yeah, get let's to you it. know let's who I want to talk about. But but Tom Hanks, despite playing this character that is very much um, a, a, a character designed by committee, mm. very much fitting within that that portrayal of what yeah. they want Walt to be. Tom Hanks is just very good at that. I actually don't you know. I thought he was really good. Mm. But this would probably be one of his lesser roles that I've seen him mm. in. Mm. And I wonder if it's because it was a character by committee and there, you know, I, I, this is pure speculation. If there were people on there of like, no, you can't make that character choice. No, we don't want to see that, you know. Possibly. Yeah, I mean, to an extent. I mean, I know I think they... about some of his scenes, he was very, there wasn't a hell of a not a nuance yeah. outside of the stuff that like was very middle of the road. Yeah, he, it, it almost felt like he got that one scene where he talks about how difficult his father was and like how his father mm. would, would beat him with a belt when, and you know, that tough but life. Even then there's no, newspapers. there's no, the way he delivers that, there's no hint of anger or, or, you know, you can think of plenty of bitter emotions that an actor might portray whilst giving that speech. Yeah. He, he very much veers away from it. Mm. And even though he is still saying the lines and depicting that moment, it still feels very much like he's Zen about, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. almost like he's reciting like a Hallmark Christmas movie or something. Mm. Do you, is that what you? Yeah, I don't think it was bad at all. I don't think it was bad. I think he was good no. in the role, and Tom Hanks is good. In I just, I, I'm maybe doing a bit of uh, head cannon at the moment about mm. whether there was someone, you know, on top of it. Maybe you're, you're probably right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Emma Thompson, uh, I presume, had less oversight. Mm. Um, and was encouraged to be as sort of like cruel and curt as she could be, particularly mm. at the start. Yeah. She, I mean, she's a very good actor. This is mm. something that I think anyone knows going into this, but she was superb. And considering she is in the majority of this film, mm. um, because we we barely see any scenes that don't have that character in it in... I don't think we get any in the old Australian scenes except for the doctor saying, when, when's enough going to be enough? When's enough going to be enough? <laughs> um, and a little bit with the parents. Uh, but in the, the scenes with um, adult PL Travers, there's very, very few scenes in, in Los Angeles where she's not present. Mm. Um, and uh, Emma Thompson is she's pretty great. fantastic in yeah, this. Yeah, she she's is just, a delight, yeah. Mm. She's masterful. Yeah. I, I, I do love that um, scene at the premiere and just her watching the movie and just the, the crying without trying to be crying and mm. like trying to hide it. Oh, it's just, it's yeah. a beautiful performance. Like the, like the non-verbal stuff as yeah. well as the verbal. Is, it's it's, it's like great. the bedroom scene in Love Actually all over again. Yes. Yeah, it's oh, just, yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. If, you, if you need someone to do like a, a crying middle-aged mum woman character, yeah. Emma Thompson is who you get. Yeah. She, and yeah. she's a secret ball. Yeah. Yes. You no, know, she's, uh, yeah. she's, she's just very good. Yeah. She, um, and I, I think any issues with, with the, portrayal of P.L. Trevor's I think would come more down to how she's written yes. in this screenplay yeah, than, than any performative things um, because she is she's very sort of unlikable at the beginning of this film extremely uh, you know like like the being snooty with the trying to get the bag in the thing and then saying yes. is that uh, child going to be a problem yeah, <laughs> I, that, and that, that I said to both of you guys in that moment I was like oh I see because <laughs> yeah. up until that point I was like oh she's very I didn't realise yeah. We were, she was, you know, I, I was a bit like, oh, that's unlikable. Mm. That's unlikable. That's unlikable. And then, of course, when she literally goes to the woman with the ch- young child and goes, are they going to be a problem? I'm like, oh, I get it. They're deliberately trying to make her a mm. villain right now. Like, yeah. I mean, to an extent, that that was kind of the case. I mean, after she died, she, um, I think her adopted son said she died um, being loved by no one and loving no one. Oh, um, so, yeah, there, there is that aspect to it but it Ow. yeah mm. she My um heart. 
she was a complex person and uh, I think in this she's just kind of like she's an uptight bitch who needs to sell out and not really getting across that you know she she was nuanced I guess and I, I imagine she loved people in her own way and so you just think, don't really see do you that. you think they're giving her more credit then than is potentially? I don't know it's just it's complex I mean you mm. you there's that one point early on where someone asks her oh do you have any children and she says well no but yes at that point in time she had an adopted son who mm. she was estranged from um because she'd adopted this child and hadn't told him that he was adopted hadn't told him that he had a twin who she hadn't adopted and the child had found out that he had a twin and was, was furious this? at her yeah yeah it's it again it's complex it's it's mm. a it's a lot more than what you actually are presented with. My my initial theory was, okay, it's historically known that there was a lot of conflict between you know Disney and Travers, like you know about what to do with Mary Poppins. It was a lot of back and forth. And my initial thought is, well, we're going to depict that in the movie. How do we make it so that no matter what, it's clear that Disney is the hero? Mm. And the way you do that is you go, well, the reason why it was so difficult was because this person is so difficult. Yeah. Rather than try and be like, well, there was just a lot of creative differences and a lot of nuance there mm, and mm. two people who didn't get along maybe, you know. Mm. Um, so that was my assumption. My assumption mm. was they just depicted her that way um, or at least in a heightened mm. fashion yeah. uh, to justify that conflict. Mm. Uh, f- funnily enough, the child that she adopted, uh, who in real life was called uh, uh, Camillus Travers. Yes. Um, yeah. He was the grandchild of uh, one Joseph Hone, who was uh, W.B. Yeats's first biographer, oh. which is why they have the line of the dad of going, Yates. well, it's not yeah. Yeats. There is, there is like a slight connection to that. There's a lot, there's a lot <laughs> of like... Such, it's such a long a thread. Yeah. Dr- I, I said yeah. at the time... But it's in there. I said at the time when he hands the poem, uh, mm. sorry, when she, the, the you know, young, uh, hands the poem to... Uh, Colin Powell and he goes well it's no Yates I'm like that's so not necessarily mean obviously that's what they were going for but she's not gonna know who Yates is she will (laughs) she will eventually it's stuck with her yeah yeah, it'd yeah. be like him going, well, it's not the Shermans. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's yeah. hard because, as you were saying, like, it's, um, you know, I think in, in a lot of ways she would have been a really difficult personality to work with. And mm. some of that does come across in the film. But mm. at the same time, mm. it's like, is, you know, the, the sanitized version mm. makes it very simplistic where she's mm. she's the obstacle. You and, even hear it yeah. in the tape when they play the actual tapes. Mm. Uh, mm. In the end credits, mm. where she we was hear her giving stuff, yeah, so and she's that, going no, 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 no. This is no good, yeah, like all yeah. that kind of stuff. And then, which, yeah, and then she was, she was, she was, she was giving ideas to the table. She yeah, was yeah, it was like I'll give you this stuff. photograph, and you can mm. see what I'm referring to, or mm. you know, and this this character is like this. Yeah, and in and creative, like in, this, in yeah. a creative field, it's so collaborative. But there, are, you, I can see where community, like, uh, if a person is very forthcoming, very uh, strong-minded, mm. and mm. then potentially these Disney mm. people, this is. Pure speculation. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're also pushing back with, no, we know what we're doing, mm. stay out of it. That's where the conflict can yeah, come from. Yeah. Of course, is, is, is of course, strong-willed yeah. people yeah. who aren't kind of ready to take themselves out of it, their ego out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can absolutely see. Whereas in this case, it was very much depicted as she was difficult and all of the people around her were effectively just like, uh-huh, whilst making you eye know rolls. eyes yeah. at each other about how, mm. oh, isn't she so well? We'll mm. keep going, you know. Mm. Excellent choice to cast Bradley Whitford as the person that's to deal with <laughs> oh, her directly, yeah. though. Just his wonderful... So um, good. Well, like <laughs> his, his sort of pausing is... is a lot of, a lot of um, looks. A yeah. lot of like... Can you believe yeah, this kind yeah, of yeah. like what's happening? This fish out of water yeah. is real wacky. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, it's it's. Um, I, I think they do that relatively well. Um, all right, Dame. Yeah, Paul Giamatti. Yeah, <laughs> Paul he was Giamatti. so good. Yeah, he's he was so cute. I, mean, I, was, I already, yeah. I already am a big fan of Paul Giamatti, but he was so good in this. He, mm. he was great. I don't think, and, you know, we talked about how it, was, it could be a bit saccharine. You know, very kind of. Uh, heightened kind of everything's Mm. nice but i believed everything like he was just such a positive person and i just i i just believed him he was great i wanted to see more of that when he picks her up and she turns ralph and i'm like (laughs) oh yeah oh let's just have them hang out doesn't even have to be romantic i just want to see what their subplot is i feel like if you just had the whole subtext 
any subtext you wanted to put, just put it in Paul Giamatti's character, and then that would be fine. That would be more than enough. Mm. How he, like, he's the one adequate. who, you know, comes and actually kind of comforts her when yeah. she's in a bad way. Mm. And he tells the story about his daughter and how she's got like she's handicapped, is how he puts mm. it, and then. She like responds by giving him a list of people that had some form of handicap mm. and going, look at all the great things they did and signing the book and all that stuff. Yeah. It was like that was that was real sweet. Mm. That was yeah. And it was it didn't feel too contrived as I feel like other parts mm. in this film did. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. Pop Paul Giamatti just just throw him in your film. He'll he'll spice it up in just a nice way. Yeah. Um, not not a lot happens in this film. To be perfectly honest, yeah. I mean it. It is a film about the the creative process, and particularly when you've got about adaptation specifically. Um, but it, it, it's not even really about that to an extent. Like it's it's more no. about it's more about Pale Travers well, coming. Yeah, to it was turn. about yeah, her character. It's like an journey. internal yeah. conflict, and it was and, almost a character yeah. study. Yeah. yeah. And also, like almost a game of how many references to Mary Poppins that are really <laughs> subtle can we get in throughout this film? Which uh, is quite fun. I yeah. mean, for someone I like me, that's six. like yes. Yeah, it was. Yeah, how many hidden hidden Marys are yeah. there in this thing? Um, but there were some pretty effective sequences. I really liked, even though there's not a lot going on in them. That those those pitch meetings where mm. she's disagreeing with them, and then they're pitching songs to her, and mm. those sequences are very yeah. watchable and enjoyable. Particularly when she's like, that's a made up word, get rid of it. And they just hide supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was good. Excellent. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Um, I also really liked the Disneyland sequence, um, yeah. which it was like, it was visually interesting. Mm. And it was it was something that I think this film needed to get us out of. Yeah, getting rooms. off a lot. I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, it was obviously nice to see from, from particularly from your perspective, Carmen, as, a, mm. as someone who has worked in... Um, in the employ of, of yes. the mouse, yes. <laughs> uh, seeing the the original place um, made to look like it was in the the early sixties. I thought the positioning yeah, of the carousel was excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Dean. I, I, for those of you who don't know, I was like the Disney nerd in me is getting annoyed because they're clearly in New Fantasyland, which was updated in nineteen eighty three, and that's not where the carousel would have been in nineteen sixty one. I and think you find just that you're actually referring eyebrows. to Old Fantasyland, which was uh, originally located uh, back in eighteen forty six uh, <laughs> nearby uh, the trash cans in Florida, yeah. as was found in the excavations of nineteen ninety two. If you mm. consult yeah. uh, the King James Bible, yeah. you'll actually see a coded message. No, I'm, I'm done. Uh, but it was yeah. kind. It was quite interesting. Yeah, seeing yeah. Um, seeing them there, even if mm-hmm. like it kind of just felt like they could have almost done more. Yeah, uh, yeah, potentially because like I, when you said I, I see what you're saying about more visual, mm. getting away from just that random some grass and buildings, you know, mm. back lot. Mm production area mm. or like like maybe they could have spent more time like you know they right so they want to tour the studio and she's like no yeah let's do that that would be cool that would have been yeah interesting. yeah but but that i think like budget thing or... i really think like in in the same way as um this was sort of the first time that someone had played walt disney i mm. suspect this might have also been the first time that they'd actually used the parks to historically recreate the parks if mm. that makes sense i yeah. can't imagine like, I would any other time they'd done the park. it because yeah. they did not stay there long and they did not go mm. to many places now the point of being there was kind of just oh i bet the boys 20 bucks to see if i could get you yeah. on a ride yeah. which is like a good sort of to the end of that scene but it's um yeah it, it, it it's it's interesting um and i think one of the things that's really intriguing about it as well which was something we were commenting on throughout the film is the use of color Yes. Um, yeah. Very saturated. Yeah, right? particularly particularly when we're in outback Australia. Yeah. Mm. It's it's just got this weird, not bad, but but strange choice of color palette. Um, and I, one of the things that I, I noticed was when she has like it's 1964 and everything is better again and she's wearing pink mm. that pink really popped mm. and i don't know if it's just because there hadn't been any pink for the previous two hours or i don't think it was a strange yeah. choice i think yeah. if i had to speculate and i think i would be quite confident in this speculation it was because they wanted some level of like disney is about bright and colorful so they wanted to kind of reflect that mm. by making everything very colorful and saturated and that you know mirroring I guess. Yeah. Mm. Do you think maybe it was also because it's a saturated version of red? And she said earlier on, I don't mm. want any oh. red in the film. It could oh, be. that was very, yeah, 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 yeah 100%. Yeah. second I saw her in pink, I was like, oh. Mm, yeah. 
Yeah. They're getting very close to red there, aren't they? <laughs> and the the, the, the the visual language as well of differentiating scenes in 1906 Australia mm. and 1960s Los Angeles, um, I, I thought that was done quite well, although the sudden cut betweens did make me go, wait, why is Paul's, Paul Giamatti's car in, in Queensland? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, we've gone back. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think we all kind of talked about how it, the oversaturation, it made some of the landscapes, especially the Australian ones, look amazing. Mm. Um, the green grass looked incredibly green. Yes. Um, but people's faces looked... <laughs> very, yeah. very orange. Yeah. And yellow, everyone, yeah. everyone clearly had makeup on, which of course they would. It's a mm. movie. Everyone does. Uh, but it just brought out so much... Everyone just looked a shade different to what yeah. you might expect. Yeah. Colin Farrell looked jaundiced before he should have, like yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, oh, I remember, like, just in that first scene with um, uh, uh, Travis just at her desk. Mm. Mm. I, I was looking at her, and I was like, "That's that's some thick makeup." Yeah. Mm. And you know, normally they do lay it on a little bit thick mm. because out in the edit mm. they tone down certain tones, and you don't notice it as much. Uh, yeah, no, it was. Um, it was a choice. It was a choice. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Uh, but in the end, the movie was made and everyone loved it. Hooray. What, this movie or Mary Poppins? That was Mary Poppins. Sorry. Um, yes. Yeah. You know, they, we went to the, uh, what was it, Grauman's Chinese Theatre yep. and there's mm. um, people in Mickey costumes and Goofy costumes. And, and modern chipmunk costumes. Yes, and, yes. yes. I did yes, think, yes. but I, I think... Yeah. How okay? Other than the chipmunk costumes, yeah. how how appropriate were the other? The others were pretty mascots? accurate. Okay, because yeah. I always think when I think of like mascots, anything more than like 20, 30 years ago, mm. I just like picture because you know you see these like horrible nightmare. Oh mm. yeah, images yeah. of some mascots yeah. back in the day, and you're like, mm. no. There like, are some great um, YouTube videos of like the evolution of the Mickey Mouse um, mm. uh, appearance mm. in the parks, and yeah. it's it's just delightful. I did feel the use of Mickey himself as both like the toy on the bed mm. and then her like sleeping with it and then him like taking her arm oh, and taking her yeah. to the studio. Yeah. It felt like someone who wasn't Disney was doing that to deliberately really push the this this bloody mouse yeah. doing casting his spells or whatever it is. Yeah. But so the fact that Disney themselves leaned into that was I thought quite interesting that yeah. they really leaned into Mickey being her accepting Mickey was her accepting this deal yeah um and the fact that she signed the deal just, opposite a giant Mickey yeah I, well, I, look by the end i would i would absolutely accept the headcanon whereupon that doll was haunted <laughs> and like it had been moved every time she would like it would move around the room on a yeah. time and it had the voice of her deceased father yeah hey, <laughs> colin farrell sign the I contract love <laughs> do it for me <laughs> redeem me figuratively redeem me have a pair did she eat pear? Actually, that's a good question. I, I didn't notice it, but I, I did not notice it. Didn't, yeah. Did she have a pear at the end? Because that would have been the ultimate, oh, like, been... see, yeah. she's recurred, she's fixed herself or whatever. I don't think she did, but uh, maybe that's just a sign that there's still growth for her. Uh, would you guys like some trivia about this film, about Saving Mr. Banks? Sure. Uh, before you do, I have a piece of trivia of my own. Oh, go on then. Uh, it is that uh, according to Oxford University historians... Mm-hmm. I'm making this up. You can already tell. Okay. Uh, the correct way to drink tea is milk in first. Mm. Ah, and anyone who doesn't feel that way mm-hmm. is a terrible, terrible Stephen. It was the first thing I disagreed with P.L. Trevor's on in this entire film was the milk in first. I, and you I are thought it incorrect. was always related to um, how what class you were, like how expensive your china was back in the day. Because if you had cheap that... china, okay. the hot Real water, the hot water facts, would okay. shatter the ceramics, oh. which is why you put the milk in first. Because and it if you were... Yeah, and if you were okay, well that, off and your china that went was more from sturdy, me saying silly things to <laughs> I a real genuinely I interesting fact. I thought you genuinely fact. knew this, and you were just—I did not know that. Okay. I was just messing with Stephen because the correct way to drink tea is coffee. <laughs> Fair enough. Can I share a bit of trivia? Sorry that Go I on. meant to it's mention. The, it's the trip. It's throw in a tidbit. 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 Um, tidbit. Um, uh, I meant to say this when we did Mary Poppins and I forgot. Um, apparently, according to some audio commentaries, there was an original draft of the script where Mr. Banks was meant to reveal at the end that Mary Poppins was his nanny when he was a child. Oh. And that's why there's a few references to like, oh, everything that's happened has all happened before. And the mm. cook at one point says that the chimney sweeps, oh, they're dancing again. Da, da, da. Right. Um, it's meant to, yeah, it was meant to so be they're that. they're trapped and in like an eternal Doctor Strange Yeah, but yeah, yeah. That, that kind of makes you and, worry because that's like, oh no, the kids are going to grow up and... 
It's all going to happen exact again. Exact same issues. Yeah. Mm. I mean, that I, I've only found one commentary that actually says that. So take okay. it for what you will. But I thought that I was interesting. That. Yeah, that is intriguing. Uh, now, some more trivia about saving Mr. Banks. P.L. Travers never did warm up to the song Let's Go Fly a Kite as depicted in the film. According to Richard M. Sherman, it was Feed the Birds that actually won her over. Which yeah, makes sense. because that's what you said to me. Yeah. And it felt like Feed the Birds was kind of just brushed off, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah. it was Walt's favourite song. And so that's yeah. why you have the scene of Walt coming in when it's mm. being played. He's mm. very soulful about it. But yeah. he doesn't make much out of it. He just goes, that'll work. Well, yeah. well for, for Walt, though, that is... Yeah. That's essentially enthusiastic approval. One of the yeah. 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 yeah, one of the other yeah. trivia points is that Walt was very critical of everyone's work. So if mm. he came in and went, "Yeah, that'll do," that was essentially yeah. going, "This is the best thing ever." Yeah, yeah. And, so, and staying, you know, lovingly to them. Oh, you know, this will be stuck in my head for days. And mm. da, da, da. yeah. Mm. Anyway, uh, the audio tapes of the working sessions between the real PL Travers and um, Disney team amounted to thirty-nine hours of audio. <laughs> Uh, to all of which screenwriter Kelly Marcel and then later Tom Hanks and Emma Thompson had access. Thompson said she listened to all of them in preparation for her role and that the experience was like, quote, being poked in the ear with hot forks, end quote. <laughs> I don't know what she means by that. 39 hours. 39 hours. 39 hours. 39 hours. <laughs> 39 hours of, yes, now this next bit. Now, I, 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 the, the colour blue is, is entirely And, and the quality would not have been good. It would have been no. tor- terrible. Mm. I mean, did she get an award? <laughs> I don't... She, she actually wasn't nominated for I, an Oscar. Just for that alone. A lot of, a lot of people uh, at the time were thinking, oh, yeah, she'll get an yeah. Oscar nomination yeah. for this. And she didn't. She was mm. I don't snub. know if it was an Oscar nominee, an Oscar-worthy performance. Formers or movie, yeah. I, but thirty nine hours. Yeah. Look, but I, I feel like I, for for an Oscar, you have to have a lot to work with in the yeah, script yeah. to begin well, with, and they did not have a lot. But, exactly. Yeah, sorry, exactly. Go on. Like, you know, through no fault of her own. Yeah, uh, yeah and thirty nine hours. Mm. Jesus, like the audio medium, and specifically the rise of podcasts shows <laughs> us that there's nothing wrong. In fact, there's something very right about putting in your headphones and listening to a great podcast. Maybe one about catching up on cinema. But 39 <laughs> hours. Yeah. Look, 39 <laughs> hours. We have got close to, well, 240-ish hours of audio now. But in what series. frame of time? Like, well, I wouldn't what... expect someone to sit down and listen to it all in one sitting. <laughs> unless they were playing, like, the movie... Unless they were playing, like, Saving... Dr. Platt or something where it's like a movie about my <laughs> life and they're like right we're gonna I'm gonna listen to every podcast uh, so I know every time I have to introduce myself I have to go hello everybody and welcome <laughs> so yeah um, it's it's a real chore and look, yeah I mean good mm. good she put good in the work good work put yeah. in the work uh, according to the book The Secret Life of Mary Poppins, in a 1977 interview, P.L. Travers commented on the legacy of the movie, uh, saying, I've seen it once or twice, and I've learnt to live with it. It's glamorous, and it's a good film on its own level, but I don't think it's very like my books, end quote. And that was the most praiseworthy she got of it, yeah. <laughs> as I understand. Okay, all yeah. right. I was about to say, that's like a normal statement, but yeah. then now that you're like, that's the best she's ever given, I'm like, oh, okay. No, yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah, as I said, you know, after the premiere in this movie, it's like, oh, and they all walked out loving mm. it. And no, she literally went up to Disney and was like, that's got to go. That's got to be changed. Da, da, da. And he was like, no, the movie's made. Mm. Deal mm. with it. He was like, yeah. see this contract you signed? Yeah. Means I don't have to care about you anymore. Uh, Disney hid his smoking habit from the public, especially children, fearing it would harm his and his studio's family-friendly image. Tom Hanks wanted his portrayal to be accurate, so he lobbied to show Disney smoking. Disney, the studio, however, still insisted that smoking was not appropriate for a family movie, so we only see the aftermath of Walt's smoking session with Disney stubbing out a cigarette. Early references to this in the movie... Yeah, he, um, uh, yeah, yeah. he coughs a lot, um, basically before he walks into any room. Um, he also... Um, sorry... Tom Hanks has said that Robert Sherman told him that Walt Disney used to smoke up to two packs a day. Uh, Disney died of lung cancer in 1966. I was just about to say, Jesus. Mm. That'll do it. Two packs a day. Mm. One major scene in the movie that was not true, the biggest fictionalised piece, according to the screenwriter Kelly Marcel, uh, was that Disney visited Travers at her London house. In reality, they only talked by phone, but Marcel insisted that everything Disney told Travers about his father was completely true. 
Yeah, I mean, as far as I know, it was true, but he never really had that attitude of, Mm. oh, you know, I I feel regret for Mm. um, thinking of my father in that way. He was just basically like, no, it was honest work. So, you know, toughen up kids. Yeah, and for the time, you know, getting a belting probably Mm. wasn't that uncommon. Yeah, Um, unfortunately, it's probably pretty standard, yeah. Mm. But... So, yeah, it wouldn't have necessarily made sense for Walt himself in the 60s to be like, mm. I was so traumatised by being hit by a belt because lots of people were were received, like, corporal punishment from mm. their parents, essentially. Mm. So, but, but in the context of a film being made almost 50 years later and them trying to justify Travers signing the contract mm. on mm. this... I yeah, have a, Then, I have then a, you have to yeah, construct it a certain yeah. way, yeah. The, the, the old, I have a difficult relationship with my dad... Um, which is common both in real life, but also in lots of media. It's only through doing the Mass Effect playthrough recently, I realised in Mass Effect 1, all of your companion characters have issues with their father. (laughs) With the, I think Caden Alenko is the one character that doesn't. Who? Rex kills his own father in in a graveyard shootout and tells you about this. Yep. Garrus is disapproving with his father because his dad doesn't like him being a renegade. Uh, Wanted him to be more C-Sec based. Um, Tali's issues with her father come more in two and three, but she's the the daughter of this person in the Admiralty board. Yes. Um, Liara doesn't know who her father is because of the whole Asari mating culture thing. So she, she never knew and has this like issue of being like, yeah, "Yeah, I don't know who, who my, my father is because I only have matriarch Benezia. And Ashley Williams had a close connection to her father, but because her grandfather was the general who surrendered Shang-Chi, the only time humanity lost to an alien race. So all of your companion characters, with the exception of Caden, have issues with their father. Wow. Yeah. Sorry, it's been bugging me since I figured this out. I just needed an outlet. <laughs> so That's going to get cut. Uh, you but... never know. <laughs> and in Mass I'm Effect, just saying. In Mass Effect 2. Video, video game <laughs> catch-up club. Offshoot time. Stardew Valley, that relationship, you know, between Kent and Sam. is. Mm. Just, mm, yeah. uh, but yes. I'm playing Far Cry 6, and there's not much writing to speak of, but it's good fun. <laughs> Actually, um, uh, what's his name's in it? Gus from... Oh, yeah, um, Giancarlo Esposito. He's amazing, yeah. but there's no reason for him, for to, him to show up. So every now and then they'll just cut to him and be like, look at how good of an actor he is. And then <laughs> cut back to you being like, pew, pew, pew. <laughs> Even though she didn't much like the Sherman Brothers musical score, P.L. Travers was shocked and dismayed when Julie Andrews wrote to her that the filmmakers were planning to, le- to delete the song Stay Awake which was one of Andrews' favourite and Travis's few liked songs. Uh, Travis requested the filmmakers retain the song in the movie. Uh, which yeah. song? Oh, the one she sings as they're falling asleep. Stay the, the... awake. Like that Seems one. counterintuitive. Yeah. It's reverse psychology. But we're yeah. saying down, but we're going up. Like, <laughs> they were all about that in this oh film. Oh, my God. They did say down and sing a higher note, <laughs> otherwise referred to as going up. Yeah. No one in Hollywood seemed interested in telling Travers' story on the big screen until producer Alison Owen at Ruby Films in England suggested focusing on the Disney subplot. When the project came across the desk of the screenwriter Kelly Marcel, she was instructed to focus solely on Travers' connection to the production of Mary Poppins. She included many lines from the Disney movie as well as its song and a scene set at Disneyland with Travers riding the carousel with Walt Disney. It was only later that Marcel realised that the risk involved with doing that in a screenplay was quite significant. Quote, I was so naive when I started writing it, she said, uh, admittedly oblivious that Disney owned the intellectual rights to the material. Once I finished it, I was like, oh shit, there's only one studio who can make this film and they'll probably give us a cease and desist order. Uh, Alan Horn, the the chairman at uh, Walt Disney Studios, didn't believe any other studio could have made this film, saying, quote, why would Paramount make a movie about Walt Disney? I think that would be a difficult pitch, end quote. <laughs> she just yeah. changed it. I, I, I love that reaction she had after she wrote the screenplay. Yeah. Just, oh, no. Yeah, it's like, well, I finally finished writing this screenplay over several months. Her fever-pitched oh, writing shit. session. What are they going to do with it now? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's probably a good thing. Like, that's yeah. a good sign that someone is so engrossed in telling yeah. the story that they're not mm. even... Thinking about the business side Mm. of it. While a guest on the Queen Latifah show in February 2014, Bradley Whitford recounted a story about a prank that Dame Emma Thompson played on him and his fellow actors. 
Because they were filming a scene in which she was not on screen, Thompson had taken the opportunity to change out of her restricted costume and into a robe to relax. Whitford was in the middle of a take in which he was singing Let's Go Fly a Kite. Thompson stood up and opened her robe. Whitford said that she was wearing nothing underneath but two pasties depicting Mickey Mouse. Oh, no. Yes. (laughs) Emma Thompson has subsequently confirmed this in later interviews. She basically decided to play a prank, got a couple of Mickey Mouse head stickers, put them on her boobs, and flashed Bradley Whitford with them. And that's how she got Sorry. kicked off the set. Yeah, who was Bradley Whitford in there? Uh, uh, the, the screenwriter. Dan. The, uh, Jake Peralta's dad? The, yeah. yeah, Jake Peralta's dad. When was this? In the Let's Go Fly a Kite sequence. But like, what year was this? This was 2013. Because I'm trying to frame whether this is like... Not okay? Well, I mean... I mean, it's not okay, but like... I think they're both from different generations as well, where... Like, I... Like, if, I would personally be want... fine with this. I'm just like... Yeah. I... Yeah. No, I... I yeah, yeah. It's, it's shenanigans. It just feels like one of those, today. like, oh, what a great anecdote. What a funny thing to have. And, and then you, like, peel it back and go, if even one person mm. had not taken this correctly, it would have been deeply serious. Mm. Yeah. I think it's maybe partly more reflective of uh, a sort of Emma Thompson's background of coming from, like, English acting schools in the 70s and 80s mm. where... Like, you know, she was hanging out with Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie and... Uh, Hearing of Rick Mail's TV shows. Rick Mail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's an that's awesome story. I yeah. just... I don't know. Oh, it's, yeah. I, it's surprising. Yeah, Dean, it is you, surprising. If you ever yeah. want to uh, reveal your breasts with pasties on at any <laughs> point during recording these podcasts... I'm going to need a copy don't, of this. Don't. <laughs> I'm going to need a copy of uh, this. This is me tacitly saying, do not do that. <laughs> uh, the final bit of trivia is actually a little bit of a quiz for you both. Yep. Tom Hanks played Walt Disney in this movie, making yes, him... correct. Got it. <laughs> point one point. Yes, that was it. Uh, making him the sixth Oscar winner to play an Oscar winner. Oh, can God. you name any of the other five? So, Oscar someone who's winners... won an Oscar playing somebody else who's, who's won, won an Oscar. Oscar. Oh, okay. Um. Oh, uh... I'm going to say someone's played Judy Garland at some point and won an Oscar for someone's it. Someone's played Hitchcock. Um, they are not on this no, list. No, okay, no. All Hitchcock right. never won an Oscar. So. Okay, let me. Uh, we'll, we'll think Didn't about he? this. No. Hang on. Stanley Kubrick was it depicted. I, I wouldn't do the actor. But oh, the, not not Edward. Um, no, no, not Edward. Okay. Um, I will give you a clue that two of the actors on this list are Australian. Okay. Rob. really want to get one of these now and I'm trying to think mm. um, Chris Hemsworth <laughs> <laughs> yes Thor. Margot Robbie no <sighs> think, okay I can give you a time period okay the oldest of these films is from 1981 okay the most recent of these films is from 2007 so technically okay. this film is the most recent with um, an Oscar winner playing another Oscar, Oscar winner, winner yeah Hollywood likes movies about mm. Okay, so it movies. wasn't people who necessarily won the Oscar for their role they playing the Oscar They didn't winner. win the role, yeah, sorry, no, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. just yeah. thinking so, of like... It's just someone who has an Oscar. Playing an Oscar Playing winner. someone who also has an Oscar. Right. Performer, writer, producer, musician. I feel like a lot of them would be directors. Like maybe... Um, what about any like particular biopics like by musicians? I'm just having a quick look. Um, technically... These would all count as biopics. Okay. Because they are all obviously depicting... Any, people. like, more... Any people on there that lean more towards musicians than... In fact, the two of them have played the same Oscar-winning musician. Hmm. That doesn't help me. <laughs> no. I mean, um, no. Is Robbie Malik playing uh, the Queen biopic. No. Queen never won an Oscar, sadly. I'm just thinking if maybe they did like mm. a you know like a score to yeah. a movie or something. Mm. I can give you the first one if you'd like. Okay. Faye Dunaway as Joan Crawford in, Mom- in Mommy Dearest from 1981. Never okay. got that. Okay. Um, all the rest are from the 2000s, between 2002 and 2007. You know what? Let's and- do close. I need close. Okay. <laughs> I want to. I want to get this, but I'm gonna need close. Okay. The- Let's go one by one. The second film. Um is someone playing a writer of films yes okay primarily films i mean obviously there have to be a film it would be an oscar but you, mm. you get what i'm saying 
we are crushing it's, this. It's a really hard question because when I okay. saw this, I was like, yeah, this has to be the in The first there. one to get one is going to be the overall <laughs> Just remember, I got that Tom oh, yeah, Hanks yeah, played. Yeah, Tom Hanks played. Disney, <laughs> I got the point for that. Gene wins. Yeah. Um, How about if I give you... A- no, so not Alfred Hitchcock. None of them played Alfred Hitchcock. None of them played Hitchcock. None of them actually have played a director. Okay. All right. Interesting. Um, okay. One is playing a writer. One has played an actor. And two have played the same musician. And to give you an extra hint, the same musician in the same film. Ah, okay. It's not... Joel Edge? No. It's not Elton John, Joel Edgerton. Did one of them play Alec Guinness? No. Okay, (laughs) I'm really not doing well here. What did this writer... Just give us one of their movies. Uh, Certainly. Um, (laughs) Funnily enough, um, the movie that this actor played this writer in, they wrote. Uh, But I can also... I'll give you... I'll give you... um, uh, They wrote Being John Malkovich... Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind. I, d- I couldn't tell you. I know the films. Mm. I, I don't okay. know. I, yeah. The second actor was Nicolas Cage playing Charlie Kaufman in Adaptation. Uh, okay. Nicolas Cage has won an Oscar? Yeah. Nicolas Cage. Yeah, he's, he's a, there's a reason why they say he's the most eclectic actor out there. Oscar's Because you never know what you're going to get with him. <laughs> for the others, we'll go, for, I'm sure there's people at home shouting into their devices going, <laughs> well, I know at least one of them. Those people have access to Google. They do. Uh, yeah. And therefore, I don't yeah. care. So the third, and one of our Australians, Kate Blanchett, Okay. As Catherine Hepburn in The Aviator. Okay. No, no when I got it. Now, Blanchett act has actually done this twice, so she isn't counted in this list. But <laughs> okay. the fourth and fifth, Christian Bale and Heath Ledger. Wait. Musician. Batman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So these are both played one musician. Yeah. Who won an Oscar. Yeah. In the same film. In the same film. And so did Kate Blanchett. I have no idea. They all played Bob Dylan in the Bob Dylan biopic "I'm Not There" oh, from right. 2007. That that one. How that... did that work? Bob Dylan. It was a biopic about Younger, his life, older. and they all played him at different points in his life. So yeah, Kate Blanchett played him. Uh, Bale and Ledger both played him. It was one of Le- Heath Ledger's last films. Right. Uh, right. And Bob Dylan won an Oscar in 2001. Um, okay. For context, so, for uh, writing the song, um, things have changed. Just so we know, uh, what what was the point tally at the end? <laughs> uh, it was zero zero. <laughs> getting cut. Yes! This is so getting cut. But for those of you who are at home who uh, knew any of them, congratulations! Uh, you you've made it. I'm gonna. You, you, just, you know what? I'm gonna come with like. Send my, your I'm gonna come with trivia for you next time. Yeah. I'm gonna come with a series. You know, I got trivia if I need it. I'm gonna come with questions right. for yeah. you. It was, yeah, it was more, oh, this is a fun question. I'm going to see if they know it. <laughs> they didn't. But you know what? That's not the point of this program. The point of this program is watching movies and seeing what we think of them. So I'd like to know what your scores would be for Saving Mr. Banks. Dean, you get to go first because it was your first time watching this film. What would you give Saving Mr. Banks out of 10? Um, I would give it, uh, I would give it uh, a <coughs> out of... <coughs> Okay, so by my, 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 my math, that's a 6 out of 10. I would give it a milk first mm-hmm. out of... Actually, that's a historically accurate thing because of fine china that would break due to the boiling water. Yeah. Do you want us to come back to you? No, no, that's a 6 out of 10. <laughs> okay. I, I know Dean's scoring system. <laughs> I uh, realise I've really not been on any podcasts with you. I'm like, I, I've just got no idea how your brain I, works. I don't know. I will, I will uh, uh, profit up. A score if pressed, but I don't like to put scores on things. Yeah. Mm. Okay. But I do. Uh, because I, I think it's so subjective and yeah. yeah. It is. So six out of ten. Because like I think I gave the original <laughs> Mary Poppins seven, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah. Seven. This, and my initial thought was like I'd give this a seven, but I think Mary Poppins was better than this. Yeah. Mm. But also in terms of just viewing experience, I think I gave the Spice World movie like an eight. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I, uh, yeah. I just enjoyed watching it with, mm. with the people I watched yeah. it with. Anyway, uh, Carmen, what would you give this film out of 10? Uh, okay, I'm going to give it seven inappropriate California palm trees in Australia yeah. out of 10. Yeah, they were weird. <laughs> yeah, they were, um, they were in Australia, weird. they'd be much shorter 
and they would not be trimmed frequently enough, so they would constantly fall on things and get annoying. And also, have... I feel like they would have, by the time that you planted those in Australia by the colonizers, colonizers we would not have gotten to those heights yeah. in 1900 and whatever. They'd have been full of drop bears as well. Yeah. Mm. Exactly. Um, I'm going to give it... Um... I'm going to give this film um, six. Um, when's enough going to be enough out of ten? <laughs> Sorry, what did you just say? Six. That was a it... terrible delivery of that line. When's enough? Gonna be when's enough going to be enough? It was the American take on an Australian accent. That's true. Which is the straight and blimey. Yeah. When's enough going to be enough? Or indeed six double mustaches, <laughs> like the guy who ran <laughs> the bank. Show up in the nose because that's how Australians talk to Americans. Yeah. Uh, look, save Mr. Banks, it's a perfectly fine film. I think it, it, it sets out what it achieves to do. Mm. Yeah. Like, P.L. Travers, she was a bit maybe pernickety and difficult, but in the end... Corporate interest won over. I <laughs> I feel ultimately I didn't learn anything. <laughs> like, now I'm, you can dive into I'm all saying, the like, I was so interested in it because I wanted to hear about the backstory and the, and yeah. the mechanics of it. Yeah. And I feel ultimately all I learned was that it was a difficult process yeah. and they made the movie. Yeah. Now you can I dive mean, into all that trivia. Yeah. I think it's also because we know so little about P.L. Travers' life. Mm. It's, yes. difficult it's difficult to go. And that's like, because there was, there was a lot yeah. of information in the film, but it's just yeah. like, after watching it, you're like, how much of that is real? How much yeah. of that is yeah. Yeah. And even like you watch documentaries and you're like, no, 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 you are just talking out of your butt right yeah. now. Um, and yeah. Honestly, it's a film I'm surprised got made. Yeah. I'm surprised this film got greenlit. And I certainly don't think that it's it's a bad film, but it mm. is a very six out of 10 film. Yeah. It is very much I would just, not be surprised yeah. if the cast got this across the line. Yeah. Like mm. when when they talk about how like the first time they let Disney be depicted. Yeah. I guarantee they sat in a room and said it's Tom Hanks and they went, "Oh, oh yeah, okay, no, we're yeah. listening." Yeah. You know? They 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 specifically rang yeah. Tom Hanks yeah. and said, "Hey, we want you to play this part." There was no audition for for the role. <laughs> what about to I, I think yeah. it's just also a time in Disney's history when they were liking to go very meta. Mm. Um mm. like around this time you see uh, you know, Stitch crashing Beauty and the Beast ads is like hmm. an ad for Stitch and mm. Lilo and Stitch and, and that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, I so think it was to... just a, a time when they were trying to be very self-referential and mm. taking the mm. Mickey out of themselves, so to speak. Mm. Um, and I think uh, I think this came on that wave yeah. and, and it was a good time for it to be made because everyone was sort of in that mindset. Yeah, I would like to, for the record, highlight that that was a very good pun. It was thank a very you. good part. Appreciate it. Um, so that brings us to the end of this episode. So, Dale and Carmen, thank you very much for joining me. Cheers, big ears. Thank you. What's next in two months? Oh, well, I mean, there is Mary Poppins Returns. Uh, can we before... do Ben Nods and Brood 6? <laughs> before I go, I just have one question for you, Stephen. Yeah. When's enough going to be enough? <laughs> oh, never. It's never going to be enough. Uh, we're going to keep doing these episodes for as long 39 as... 39 hours. <laughs> yeah, for as long as I can have access to the internet. Um, we are getting close to the end of the year, which means we have got uh, our end of year specials, including our Christmas episode that is chosen by you, the audience um so keep an eye out for that christmas poll coming up in a few weeks um we would suggest if you would like to know uh, how to vote on that poll to follow our facebook page all our information gets posted through there just search for the cinema catch-up club on facebook if you want extra information and indeed extra content and special goodies you can go to our patreon just go to patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast and join up there for as little as a dollar a month and of course if you want uh, the episodes as they come out each and every week subscribe on spotify itunes soundcloud and while you're there if you're enjoying this please leave a review and let others know hey i enjoyed this program because then we can get more listeners in uh listening to um our guests quizzing prowess <laughs> uh yeah. i'll tell you what please if don't we can listen get to that. what are we at on patreon what's that what do you want on patreon in terms of uh, what's your, what's your milestone? Let's see. Okay, if we can get to a thousand dollar redos on Patreon, okay, I will put together a custom podcast that is quizzing you on all of the films that you have watched on Cinema Catch Up Club oh. thus far. You know what? Let's set it. Uh, I don't know if a thousand dollar redos is going to be realistic. Okay, let's let's set it. If you actually like that idea, because I do like that. It's idea. a very achievable idea, so Tell I'm on what, board. We'll set it at. Um, 
We'll set it an even hundo. If, sure. if we get to, yeah, the, the hundred. $100 dues. Yeah, $100 dues. A movie quiz. Per uh, monthly runthy, as we yep. call it here. For you uh, and potentially maybe a few other people who are yeah. regular guests. Yeah, see how much of this I've on, absorbed on over nearly five years. How many have gone in one ear and out the other. Yeah. And I'll warn you, an entire round will be dedicated to the Spice World movie. Oh, great. Just well, so you can watch it again. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna swat up on that. Um, but yes, if you would like to do that, um, you can join, at, I guess, the hundred dollar a month level if you really want just to see that we're going to make that level up right now and if anyone wants it please do it and dean will make a quiz but that is all for this week so until next time goodbye bye 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 You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.